Vermin. You should keep your distance from them. Two men went to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other one a tax collector. The Pharisee prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Thieves, adulterers, or this tax collector. But the tax collector didn't even look up to heaven. He said, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. God bless the tax collector. Not the Pharisee. Anyone who praises himself will be humbled. And anyone who humbles himself will be praised. Matthew, come. of good in any of them. Thomas, Jesus has not come for the good, but for the sinners. He gives people a second chance. We should too. Uh, that's one of my favorite scenes from this movie, The Son of God. And if you haven't seen it, um, it's available right now, I think, on Amazon Prime for those of you who, who watch uh, television or movies that way and so on. And I would encourage you to watch it sometime, especially with Easter coming up. God uses these movies to encourage and speak to people. Our son Stephen growing up, The Ten Commandments was his favorite movie. And even today, he's got to watch that at Easter. It just doesn't feel like Easter to him. The old classic Ten Commandments movie, that is. But this scene, one of the reasons I like it, it is I think it, it depicts very, very accurately uh, a truth about Jesus Christ and who he is. And in this sermon series, Son of God, Who Is He? We're looking at biblical scenes, scenes in the Gospels from the life of Jesus and, and watching them depicted in this movie to learn some things about uh, Jesus. And just as you saw there, 
what I want us to focus on this morning when it comes to who is Jesus Christ is this. He really is a friend to sinners. And if you want to know what that looks like, it means he's a friend to people you don't like. Did you catch that? Jesus is a friend to sinners. People who who just mess up in life. And the truth is, uh, a lot of people mess up. All of us have at one time or another in some way or another. Even if we don't own it, we have. Now, in the movie, what you see is the is the pulling together of two different scenes from the life of Jesus, the calling of Levi, who we better know as Matthew, and he was referred to as Matthew in the movie, who became one of Jesus' disciples and was a tax collector and would have been viewed very negatively by the people in his culture. And then later, Jesus told a parable, a parable of two men going to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. And, and in the, the movie, they kind of put those together. So here when Jesus is calling Matthew, they, tell, they have Jesus tell the parable. And, 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 and it's, that's beautiful because the call of Matthew, when Jesus called Matthew, when he called Levi, he was demonstrating, he was illustrating the very thing that he was teaching in the parable about the two people who went to the temple to pray. So if you have your Bible, open it with me to the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke. We're going to look at uh, those two scenes from Jesus' life. Chapter 5 to start with, Luke chapter 5. As we look at Jesus calling Matthew or Levi, uh, this man, to become his father. Some of you are wondering, why in the Bible do people have more than one name? Well, it's because they have their Hebrew name, they have their Greek or Roman name. And, and they can be referred to either way. And then there are people who had another name that was given to them after they had a life-changing experience with Jesus Christ. So Matthew or Levi, same person. Uh, we, we see this brief story, but a very powerful story in Luke chapter 5 when Jesus calls him to be one of his disciples. And um, there, there are people in this room people watching right now by live stream and in a couple of weeks on television who can relate to Matthew, relate to Levi. Because there are many people who are constantly beating themselves up for their failure, for their sin, for the decisions of the past. And they, they, they understand Levi's situation. And so let's look at it together starting in verse 27. It says, after that, after, after he had done all the things that came before, Jesus went out and he noticed a tax collector. And I, I wish I could just stop there and preach for a few moments. I don't have time, but he noticed. It's amazing how we overlook people all around us who need Christ, who need his love, who need fellowship, who need the church. We just we don't even notice them. We go, we go through life doing our normal stuff, hanging out with our normal people, and we just we don't even notice. Jesus noticed this tax collector named Levi sitting in the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he left everything behind and got up and began to follow him. Now, there's a likelihood this was not the first encounter between Jesus and, and Levi. But on, in any occasion, in any case, Jesus speaks to him and Levi gets up and becomes one of his disciples. Now, the tax collectors, <clears throat> very unpopular. 
they were considered uh, uh, materialistic, selfish, greedy. They were considered traitors because they would collect taxes from the Jewish people, their fellow, their fellow kinsmen, the Jews, on behalf of the Romans who, who had conquered Israel. And uh, the Romans said, we want this much, and anything you collect above that, you get to keep. And so these tax collectors usually became very wealthy. And so they, they were seen as people who were taking advantage of their own people. And they were also cooperating with the enemy, with the Romans, and therefore they were despised. <clears throat> they, were, they were considered just terrible people. Nobody wanted to hang out with them unless they were also of that same type. Good people, church people, religious people wouldn't have anything to do with somebody like Levi or Matthew. And so Jesus walks over to him, and just as you saw in the, the video when he, when, he, when he says, come and follow me, man, that was a scandal. The religious people thought, no, you don't do that. You don't hang out with people like that. You don't talk to people like that. You don't have anything to do with people like that. But Jesus did. And then it continues in verse 29 that Levi or Matthew gave a big reception, a party, a dinner party for him in his house. And uh, Matthew's gospel adds uh, that, Jesus, that, that Jesus and his disciples were in the house with Levi and they were eating together. It says uh, in verse 29, there was a great crowd of tax collectors and other people. Matthew and Mark's gospel say those other people were sinners. Now, who are sinners? Sinners was anybody in their culture that was not devout. So if you weren't a devout Jew, you, you were not a Jew who would go to the synagogue all the time. You were not a Jew who followed all the religious rituals and, and moral expectations. You, you didn't necessarily have to be a terrible person. You just weren't a devout religious person. So if, if, you, if you were not a devout religious person, even if you were kind of decent, you didn't have to be terrible, you were considered a sinner. So every time you read in the Gospels, uh, People talking about those sinners. They're just talking about anybody who didn't go to church. Any, anybody who, who wasn't religious, who wasn't devout, if you will. It could include the really bad people, but they didn't have to be really bad. And so these people who weren't religious, some of them who were bad, and these tax collectors all gather at Levi at Matthew's house for this party to talk to Jesus and his his disciples, because they knew that the religious folk didn't want them in their house. You do know that the average person, especially in the younger generations that don't go to church, view us negatively, not just because of what we believe, but because of how we treat people as a whole. That we're seen as being angry and mean and mad all the time instead of kind and gentle and loving. kind of how it was there so they hung out together and and it becomes controversial because Jesus is hanging out with them and and rabbis did not do that but Jesus did it and so there's this big big party they're reclining at table the other gospels say they were eating and and in verse 30 the Pharisees and scribes began grumbling at Jesus disciples saying why why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners why are you doing this don't you know good Jewish folk don't do this and Jesus said in verse 31 it's not those who are well or healthy that need the doctor the physician but, but those who are who are sick I've, I've come to call uh, 
the, the sinners to repentance, not the righteous, it's, it's the sinners. And um, that's the story of Jesus. You see, you see this repeated time and time again in his life and in his ministry. Now, there, there are people in this room and watching uh, on social media right now who, who, who say to themselves, and some of you have heard people say this, right? You've invited someone to church and they said something like, man, if I go to church, the whole ceiling is going to fall in. You ever heard that? If I go to church, people are going to drop dead of a heart attack. And then there are, there are others who say to themselves, you know, I can't go to church. I need to, I need to, I need to do better first. I need, to, I, I need to change some things first. I need to stop doing, I need to, you know, I'm, I want to go someday, but I need, to, I need to get ready. I need to clean some things up in my life before I go. You ever heard anyone say anything similar to those statements? If you talk to lost people, you'll sometimes hear that. And then there are other people who don't think of themselves as sinners at all. And they'll say things like, you know, I, I know there's a God. I believe there's a God of some kind. And um, I, I don't need to be religious or go to church. I, I, I believe there's a God. I, I, you know, I don't know all the details, but I don't need all that religious stuff. People sometimes will say, you know, I, I treat other people right. I, I treat people well, so I think I'm okay. I don't think I have anything to worry about. I'm better than most. And so it's in that context that this Jesus who's eating with these sinners and this tax collector, Levi uh, Matthew, he, he later in Luke's gospel tells a parable. But uh, to help you see just how much Jesus was criticized for this, look in chapter 15 of Luke, okay? Go ahead and look in chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. The Bible says, now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near him, near Jesus. Why? Because they wanted to hear from him. They were, they were coming close to Jesus to listen to him. In verse 2, but the Pharisees and the scribes, the very religious folk, began to grumble. You know what a grumble is. It's that, you know, it's, it's that talking out in the parking lot. It's, it's that talking over the dinner table. It's that, you know, they were grumbling. Y'all didn't think preachers knew people did that, did you? They began to grumble saying, this man receives sinners and he eats with them. Can you believe that? You know what that preacher did? And so it's, that's the set. Do you, do you get the scene? Do you get the picture? And so Jesus then in chapter 18 tells the parable. So if you'll, you'll turn there, chapter 18, beginning at verse 9, Jesus told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. And you saw the parable briefly depicted in the, in the movie a moment ago. He said, two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like that tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I give. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven but was beating his breast 
saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And then Jesus in verse 14 said, I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other, the tax collector instead of the Pharisee. For everyone who exalts himself will be humble, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, let's, let's, let's look at that parable for a few moments. Here's, here are these two men. And, and you see it depicted in the story of Jesus' life, don't you? Jesus eating with Levi and Matthew and other sinners and the religious folk grumbling because he did that. So you, in Jesus' very life, you see what's depicted in this parable and why he would have told this parable. So that these, these two people go to the temple to pray, and one's the Pharisee. Now, to, to really get this, brothers and sisters, you must erase from your mind, erase from your mind the negative image all of us who've gone to church for a long time have of Pharisees. Because the way you and I, with our knowledge of the Gospels, think about Pharisees is not how the average person in Jesus' day viewed them. How do you think the average person viewed the Pharisees of Jesus' day? The way the average person views those of us who go to church all the time. Uh-oh. If you really want to understand what Jesus is saying, you have to get that in your mind. Otherwise, you miss the import of what he's teaching. <clears throat> so there's these, <clears throat> these two men the Pharisee, and uh, the tax collector. And so the Pharisee goes to the temple. Now, they're not in the temple building, you know, where the Holy of Holies and all that was. The temple building, per se, was surrounded by several courtyards. The innermost one where only the priests could go, then the next court where Jewish men could go, then the court before outside of that where Jewish women could go, and then the court outside of that where Gentiles could go. And so they're in one of these courtyards praying. And this Pharisee stands and he prays to himself. And the thing is, he was a good man. And the average person would have looked at him, even if they didn't like him because of the way he thought about them, they would have said, you know, yeah, he's, he, he lives a pretty good life. He would have been viewed positively in terms of his character and lifestyle by the average person because he was a pretty good person. In verse 11, when the Pharisee stood and was praying, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. That was the truth because he wasn't like the average person. He lived a much more moral life than the average person. He said, I thank you that, that I'm not a swindler. He was honest. He didn't cheat people out of their money like that tax collector did. He had financial integrity. He really did. When he said, I'm not a unjust, in other words, I don't treat people the wrong way. I don't take advantage of people. I, I, I don't use laws and, and power to, to abuse people. It's, it's the truth. He was a pretty upright person, not an adulterer. That would have been horrific for him to think of committing adultery. He said, I'm not even like that tax collector. All of that was true. 
All of that was true. He said, I pay tithes of all that I get at the end of verse 12. And he did. In fact, in the Gospels, Jesus tells us that they, they not only tithed on their income, if they grew plants, they tithed on all their plants, even their little herb gardens, mint and all of that. They were meticulous about not one thing came into their possession without them tithing on it. Nothing. And he said, I fast twice a week because they did. The second and fifth day of their week, which would have been Monday and whatever the fifth day is. <laughs> twice. Think about this. How many times have you fasted in your life? He fasted twice every week. I'd say that was a pretty religious man. I'd say that was a guy with a lot of character and integrity. I'd say he was a pretty good guy. In fact, he was the kind of guy, if he wasn't a religious leader of Pharisee, most moms would say, hey, bring somebody like that home for me to meet because that, that's the kind of guy I want you to marry. And yet he was lost. Wasn't right with God. Why? Because he trusted in his character. He said, I don't do this, I don't do that. I'm a good person. Any of you do that? Because he trusted in his good actions. He said, not only do I not do those things, I do do these things. Any of you feel pretty confident about going to heaven because of the stuff you do? Why was he lost? Why was he not justified? Because he trusted in his religious observances. Now, sometimes we, we who are Baptists look at some of the more liturgical churches and think about all their rituals, but we all have rituals. I mean, you sit in the same seat every Sunday. That's a ritual. That's a ritual. We do things our way. Those are rituals. I'm religious. I'm a church person. So was he. Why was he lost? Well, he knew he lived better than others. He knew he was better than most. Well, Let's look in the mirror. I mean, we don't live like most people in the world, right? <clears throat> and he thought that all it took for him to be okay with God was not doing the wrong stuff, making sure he did all the right stuff, treating people right, and being religious. Jesus said that that doesn't cut it. He didn't, <clears throat> he didn't think he needed to repent of anything. He, uh, he didn't think of himself as a sinner. He, he trusted in himself. Jesus said that and who he was and how he lived. Well, what about the tax collector? Now, this guy was the opposite. The tax collector was the opposite of the Pharisee because he did swindle people. 
He was unjust. He did steal from people and treat people wrong to make himself wealthy. He wasn't religious at all. And yet Jesus said that when, when you compared these two men, that Pharisee went back to his house and he was not justified. The, the tax collector went back to his house and he was justified. And justified means to be declared and treated as not guilty. Declared and not treated as 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 as, as, or treated, rather, as not guilty of breaking the law of sin. He was declared innocent. He was declared forgiven, and God treated him as such. That's what justified means. So why was this guy who was messing up so badly, why was he justified? It's because he saw the truth that he was a sinner. See, our being good, if we're not careful, can deceive us into thinking we're not sinners. In need of repentance and forgiveness and transformation. Look at his demeanor in verse 13. He, he stands off in the distance. He won't even get up to the front. He's going to stand over here, and he won't even look up. He's too ashamed to even look up toward heaven. He just hangs his head in shame. And when it says he beats his chest, in their culture, that was a sign of contrition and grief and brokenness and hurt and humility. So he recognized his guilt. And, and it's interesting he did not call himself a sinner. He called himself the sinner. And so he asked, he pleaded with God for mercy. He knew he didn't, didn't deserve heaven. One preacher years ago, an evangelist, preached on this passage and he, he titled his sermon, uh, the good man who was lost and the bad man who was saved. You know, um, it's interesting how colleges over universities over the years, you know, keep increasing their, their admission standards because they just want the brightest and the best, right? Stanford University out in California for instance, do you know, do you know what their, 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 their standards are for acceptance into the university? They only accept 5% of applicants. So a couple years ago, 42,000 applicants, they accepted about 2,000 students. On the ACT test, a perfect score, 36. The average admission, students score 35, the average. If you don't have a 33 or higher, don't even apply. On the SAT, which is more common in our part of the world, perfect score is 1,600. The average is 1,520. The average, 1,520. On a GPA scale of 4.0, the average, 4.18. The average. Now, a little less stringent, but still pretty, pretty stiff, is Southern Cal. The other USC... 
I figured some of you Clemson folks would say the only USC, but you didn't. I don't. I, so you lost your opportunity. Not quite as high, but still pretty, pretty, pretty high. About 15, 16% of their applicants are accepted. Out of about 60,000, they accept about 9,000 students. And you need to be at least in the top 5% on all the test scores nationally. And, of course, as many of you know, there's been a scandal in recent days about people paying bribes to get their children into some of the top, top academic universities in the country, right? You've been, you've been following that story a little bit? You know, universities like Yale and uh, Wake Forest and Texas and Stanford and Southern Cal, part of it. I mention those because they've actually had employees who have been fired because they had employees who cooperated with the, with, with, with the, 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 the fraud. And, of course, some of you women who love Hallmark are aware that Lori Loughlin, star of When Calls the Heart or whatever that show, I don't know, I've never watched it, When Calls the Heart, is that it? I did watch Full House years ago when she was, what was she, Aunt Becky or something in that? She and her husband paid $500,000 as a bribe to get their two daughters into college and now her career's in shambles and she's been fired by Hallmark and, and all, of, all of that. See, here's the thing. You cannot cheat or buy your way into God's good grace. You just can't. You cannot cheat or buy your way into heaven. Whether, whether it's through money or doing good or treating people right or being religious, none of that, none of that, none of that can buy your way into glory. None of it. None of it. And if I talk with you and ask why God should let you into heaven, if, if your answer has anything to do with the things you've done, you don't get it. It depends completely on his mercy, which is available to each and every one of us. can declare each and every one of us justified if we own the fact that, yes, I am a sinner, no, no, no better than anybody else, and without the mercy of Jesus Christ and his cross, asking his forgiveness, repenting of my sin, my sin, my sin, I'll never see heaven. But the good news is Jesus is a friend of sinners. And everyone who can own their sin and not, not excuse it, not say, I, I, no, 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 I'm, I'm not like that. Everybody who can own their sin, but say, Jesus, 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 he's your friend. Let me wrap up with just three quick statements, three quick lessons. Stop comparing yourself to others because this is not a competition with other people. Stop comparing yourself to others and saying, you know, I'm better than average. I'm better than those. I, I, you know, I, I'm better than most. I'm pretty good because that doesn't work. 
And stop beating yourself up and saying, because I've made so many bad choices and, and messed up so many times and hurt so many people, there's no way God can love me, no way God can forgive me. Stop comparing yourself to others because how you stack up compared to others means nothing in the eyes of God. Number two, renounce your self-righteousness. Renounce your self-righteousness. I'm not saying just stop depending on it. I'm saying renounce it. God, there's nothing good in me that makes me worthy of heaven. God, there's nothing good I've done that makes me even one little bit worthy of heaven. I'm only worthy of heaven because the blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed me when I repented of my sin, and that's it. Renounce your self-righteousness because everyone who depends on self-righteousness will be lost. And then number three, depend on God's grace instead. The fact that Jesus is a friend of sinners. Look how Jesus ended this parable in verse 14. Right in the middle of it, he begins by saying, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled but he who humbles himself will be exalted. See, we exalt ourselves when we say, I'm better than others. I compare myself to others, and I like how I stack up. We, we exalt ourselves when we say, I'm pretty religious. I'm a pretty good church person. I've done all these rituals. But we humble ourselves when we say, no matter what good I've done, I've also done bad, and I'm a sinner, and I need the mercy of God as much as anybody else. I need the kindness and the grace and the goodness and the forgiveness of God as much as anybody else. I need the cross of Jesus Christ and the blood of Jesus Christ as much as anybody else. And the only hope I have is the forgiveness of God that is given me when I repent of my sin. And that's it, brothers and sisters. That's it. You've heard it said for centuries, you know, for, for a long time, the, the ground at the foot of the cross is what? It's level because we're all in the same plane. We're all in the same place, standing in need of what? You got it, his grace, his goodness, his kindness, his love, his forgiveness. And Jesus, anybody who, who will humble himself, Jesus says, I'm your friend and I'll forgive you and I'll cleanse you, and I will justify 